It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Stroll into Philadelphia, get a very strong start from Spencer Turnbull, outstanding work from the bullpen, and one big inning to beat the first-place Phillies 3-1. to I'll break down the game, take a look at the Tigers' players of the month for April, according to me, and then answer a question about the timeline of the rebuild on today's Locked on Tigers. It is Wednesday, May 1st, 2019, and I'm your host, Chris Brown, and I ask you to celebrate your May Day by downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Locked on Tigers podcast on your favorite podcasting apps like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Himalaya, or telling your smart device in your car to play podcast Locked on Tigers. Before we dig into the solid victory, I just want to mention some news and notes here. Jordy Mercer was officially back from the injured list and played shortstop. Tyson Ross was the scheduled starter, but he is away on paternity leave, so they bumped up Spencer Turnbull to the starter. He was on regular rest, so it wasn't a big deal, and that means Daniel Norris will start today. And then they put Josh Harrison on the injured list. So with those moves... They brought up Victor Reyes from Toledo to give him an extra bat, and then they brought up Harold Castro to give them another infielder, and they placed him on the 40-man roster by putting Matt Moore on the 60-day IL to create roster space. So you know, some, some jockeying before the game. But in the actual game, there wasn't a whole lot going on to begin for the Tigers. Vince Velasquez, the Phillies pitcher, got a 1-2-3 first inning with strikeouts to Nick and Miguel Cabrera. They made him work a little bit with 16 pitches, but that's really his calling card. Velasquez gets a lot of strikeouts, doesn't go deep into games, hardly throws many innings at all. Bottom of the first, this was the one tough inning for Turnbull, really. He gives up a, a ground ball single to Andrew McCutcheon to lead off the game, and that was beat the shift, basically. They had him shifted to the left, and Ronnie Rodriguez sprinted toward the ball, but it bounced off his glove. They got Gene Segura on a flyout, but then a wild pitch on a slider put McCutcheon on second. Bryce Harper with a weak ground out to first. But Reese Hoskins, with a RBI single where the shortstop normally would be, they were again shifting hard to the left, and in a normal alignment, it would have been a ground ball right to the shortstop, but instead, Rodriguez had to run again. Then he got to the ball, but he knew he had to throw it quickly, and he tossed it roughly 6,000 feet into the Delaware River. So Hoskins got to go to second, uh, and it was one nothing Philly. But that was it for the damage in the inning after Turnbull strikes out JT Realmuto, and really that was it for the damage of the game. But uh, top of the second, Tigers come in there. Nico Goodrum strikes out on a fastball up and away. Then there's a flyout. Grayson Griner works a walk, and Jordy Mercer gets a ground single to right field in his first at-bat back. Gives him a seven-game hitting streak. Then Jacoby Jones walks. But because it's the National League and everything is dumb, Spencer Turnbull's at the plate with the bases loaded. He did foul a pitch off, and the dugout was seemingly having a ball laughing at him, but he strikes out looking. And if you're counting, that's 24 strikeouts for the Tigers in their last 11 innings. Bottom and second, Turnbull gets a ground out, and then Cesar Hernandez hits an opposite field double down the left field line. It was like three inches fair, and then a slider in the dirt moves Hernandez to third with only one out. And that was it was interesting to play. Griner stopped the ball, but then it got caught under him, and then when he stood up, he kind of kicked it away, and that gave Hernandez time to get the third. But then he strikes out Michael Franco on an absolutely nasty sinker low and in. And, and Franco, before last night, was the third toughest hitter in baseball to strike out. So that was really impressive. And he gets out of the inning with a ground ball to strand the runner at third, and it's still one nothing. And that's pretty big. The third inning starts with a strikeout of Jeremy Canalero, and then Castellanos hits a can of corn to right field. But the first baseman, Reese Hoskins, either heard someone else call it off or lost it in sort of the dim night sky, and it dropped on the ground like 15 feet behind the dirt. 
for a double. Credit to Castellanos for running it out and getting to second. Then Miguel Cabrera gets up and hits an RBI single to left field to tie it at one. Castellanos probably would have been out on a good throw from left field, but it was well up the first baseline. And then the next at bat, Nico Goodrum, who's, who was in a 1-for-18 slump, I believe, he was really looking off balance, just seemingly late on every fastball. And then, boom, he hits a 381-foot home run, and it's 3-1 Tigers. And then Ronnie Rodriguez follows it up with a triple off the top of the center field wall, and that's a cycle for the inning, which is fun always. But Gracie Grinder comes up and hits a very weak grounder to the drawn-in second baseman to keep the runner on third from scoring, and Jordy Mercer flies out, so they only get the three runs in that inning. But as it turned out, that's all they needed. And in, interestingly, during that inning, they were interviewing Casey Mize for the entire inning, and it was a long inning. And he's a good kid. I, I was actually able to meet him and interview him. But he's all business. He's not completely devoid of emotion, but he might be the least animated player I've ever seen. That's probably a good thing for, for keeping his cool on the mound. But I was telling the guys, you know, he kind of makes Corey Kluber look like Robin Williams. But anyway, bottom of the third inning, we get a leadoff walk to Andrew McCutcheon from Turnbull. And then a grounder up the middle that probably would have been a double play, but Turnbull has those natural instincts. He tries to grab it, and it ends up bouncing off his glove to Mercer, who threw the first instead of trying to get the lead runner. But then Turnbull gets a weak, broken bat pop-out by Bryce Harper, and then he walks Reese Hoskins, and another wild pitch puts runners on second and third, but then he gets out of it again with a weak ground ball, so it's still 3-1. to one. We head to the top of the fourth, and Velasquez is already at 75 pitches through three innings. He strikes out Jacoby Jones. He strikes out Turnbull again, because of course he does. And then the rain starts falling, and then Candelario takes a walk, and a hard line single from Castellanos on a hanging breaking ball and along at bat puts Candelario on third, and that's it for Velasquez. Can't even get through four innings. Six hits, three in runs, three walks, seven strikeouts, 13 swings and misses, but he's just the most inefficient starter in baseball, it seems. At some point, they really are going to need to move him to the bullpen. I think he'd succeed there, but he also gives up a fair amount of hard contact. There were 11 balls in play, and seven of them were hit 95 miles an hour or more. But that was kind of it for the Tigers' offense. I mentioned before that, you know, they won 3-1. to one. The Phillies' bullpen comes in and throws five and a third innings of shutout ball with just one hit, one walk, and one batter reaching on an error. So we're back to Turnbull in the fourth. He nails a batter on the outside of the knee, but then gets a ground out. They tried the old 3-6-1 double play, couldn't get it. But then he strikes out Franco again on a nasty slider. Again, this is the third toughest guy to strike out heading into the game. Gets him twice. And then another strikeout. So he, Turnbull seems to really found his groove. He found his slider late, late in the game. Juan Nicasio comes in for the Phillies, gives up a Nico Grinham walk, which completes the Adam Dunn hat trick in three plate appearances. And if you don't know what the Adam Dunn hat trick is, it's a, a home run, a strikeout, and a walk in the same game. But the double play ends the inning. So fifth inning with Turnbull out there, gets a ground out, a line out, and then strikes out Bryce Harper on a nasty breaking ball low and in. It was his first one, two, three inning, only nine pitches. Like I said, he was really honing in there. The Tigers go one, two, three in their sixth, and then Turnbull comes out and gets a hard ground ball. He hits a batter again, then gets a weak fly out on which Jacoby Jones ran like 120 feet, and then a, a pop-out, and that was it for the, for Turnbull. And it was really a pretty fantastic start for him. Six innings pitched, 94 pitches, just three hits, one earned run, two walks, five strikeouts. He had 15 swings and misses, but tons and tons of weak contact. Just two of the 15 balls in play against him were hit harder than 95 miles an hour, and the average exit velocity against him was 82.5 miles per hour. That's the second lowest for any Tiger starter this year, behind only Turnbull's 82.2 against the Royals on opening day. And you might be asking yourself, what does that matter? Why am I always mentioning <laughs> balls hit 95 miles an hour or more? Well, that's the way that StatCast kind of defines hard-hit balls and weekly-hit balls, and it turns out that it's a pretty convenient cutoff point for damage. Balls hit with an exit velocity of 95-plus produce a 524 batting average and a 1,047 slugging percentage, while balls hit below 95 miles an hour produce a 
219 batting average and just a 259 slugging percentage. So limiting hard contact is a skill, just as producing hard contact as a batter is a skill. And in, uh, that limiting hard contact is a skill which Turnbull appears to possess. And he's almost a bit too nasty for his own good. And everything he throws moves so much that he's almost like a knuckleballer out there. He just happens to sit in the mid-90s and hit 97. He probably costs himself four to five strikes a game because it's just exceedingly hard to command pitches that move like that. And the catchers can't help but kind of jerk their gloves late when the ball moves so much. But anyway, back to the game. Another one, two, three inning for the Phillies bullpen in the seventh. Victor Alcantara comes in in the seventh for the Tigers, gets a deep fly out, ground ball out, and a hard grounder to Jamer. Jamer really had a, a, a nice game at third base. Top of the eighth, they bring in Adam Morgan, a lefty for Philadelphia, and Nico Goodrum hits a pop-up to the right side. It seems to blow back towards center field a little bit, and Bryce Harper misplayed it into a two-base error. So this is the event that I'm kind of looking to name, because I already mentioned the Adam Dunn hat trick, but adding a reached-on error to the home run walk strikeout trifecta seems very interesting, and I was looking it up, and it's not all that uncommon, but no player has ever done it more than four times in his career. So I don't know. I wanted to name it like the Adam Dunn cycle, but we'll see. Anyway, after that, Ronnie Rodriguez hits a deep fly to right field. It gets Nico Goodrum to third. So Grayson Griner's up again with a run on third base and a, a chance to knock in and run. But again, he, he kind of fails. This time it's a hard grounder, but right to the shortstop who was drawn in. And so it's still 3-1. Bottom of the eighth, Joe Jimenez comes in for the meat of the lineup. And he gets a hard grounder to, to Jamer. Like I said, he had a good game. And then he absolutely dusts Bryce Harper with some nasty fastballs, 97 low and away. And then he gets Reese Hoskins on three sliders all swinging. It was it was one of the best innings I've seen from him and us all year. So ninth inning comes up, Hector Norris is in. We get a, a one-out pinch hit appearance from Harold Castro, his first appearance in the game, and he gets a single. So that's always fun. You know, he's a random guy who will probably get removed from the 40-man roster here in a little while, but there he is. But the Tigers don't do anything else in the inning. And then Shane Green comes in, gives up a nine-pitch single to JT Realmuto, really good at bat, kind of worrisome, but then Green comes back, strikes out the next three batters. Tigers win 3-1, to one, the 12th save of the year and 12 chances for Shane Green. And that was a solid win for the Tigers and a great way to end the month of April. So before we head into May, let's take one last look back at April to sort of highlight some of the top performers from a surprisingly competitive 13 and 14 Tigers squad. And so the, the hitter of the month, position player of the month, goes to Nico Goodrum. I don't think that's a surprise to people who've been listening to this. You know, we're, we're kind of fans of him here. He hadn't been hitting terribly well up until last night, but he's still hitting the ball hard. And his 17.3% walk rate is good for ninth in all of baseball. Uh, he might not stay at 17% all year, probably won't. But if he can manage to stay around 15%, he'd join Miguel Cabrera as the only Tigers to do that since 2000. I mean, he's showing patience and power and speed. He'd probably work best as a leadoff hitter, but with a team like this, I guess you kind of use him as, as cleanup. I wanted to do an honorable mention, too, but there really isn't anyone else worth mentioning, unfortunately. Uh, pitcher of the month is pretty easy. It's Matthew Boyd. He's currently performing like one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. He's 3-1-3 ERA appropriate for Detroit, is top 25 in baseball, but the underlying numbers suggest he's even better than that. He has the second best fielding independent pitching mark in, in all of baseball behind Sonny Gray, and he has the seventh highest strikeout percentage in baseball. He's striking out a greater percentage of hitters right now than Justin Verlander. Again, that probably won't last, but he's pitching really damn well. Honorable mention to Spencer Turnbull. We talked about him a lot earlier. He came to spring seemingly headed for Toledo, but injuries kept him to Detroit, and he's pretty clearly their second best starter right now. He may never give him a ton of innings, but he seems like he's going to keep them in most games, which is 
all you can ask for from a rookie. Best reliever, another pretty easy one here. Shane Green has been outstanding so far. 12 for 12 in safe, safe chances. Just two runs in 14 innings. He's striking out like 11 batters per nine. Honorable mention here, Daniel Stumpf, who has a 2.57 ERA in 11 appearances and has 12 strikeouts to just two walks in seven innings pitched. You know, he's, he's kind of a matchup lefty, but he's pitching really well, getting his job done. So uh, how about some regression candidates? Anybody whose start we can't trust so far? And for me, for a hitter, I think it's John Hicks. He's been better than expected on both sides of the ball particularly behind the plate, but he's sporting a 400 batting average on balls in play right now. He does hit the ball hard, but that's still going to drop 60, 70 points. So I expect his current 306 batting average to be around 250 before too long. And on the pitching side, I have to go with the Rule 5 pick, Reed Garrett. He's got a 289 ERA right now, but he's allowed eight walks and 11 hits in nine and one-third innings. And he only has seven strikeouts, so more walks than strikeouts. Not great. And he has the highest average exit velocity of anybody on the team at 92.2 miles per hour. So he appears headed for some trouble in the near future. On the flip side, is there anybody who's, who's been off to an unlucky start? I couldn't really make a case for any of the pitchers. You know, it's odd. Garrett actually has a very high BABIP, but I think he might deserve it with that high exit velocity. So for the hitters, and this is real tough for me to say, my only guess is Josh Harrison. But it's like a heavy, heavy hedge here because his batting average on balls in play is just 181 compared to 280 last year and 300 the years before that. He's not hitting the ball hard at all, though, so there's a chance he might just be done. I suspect that the injury that put him on the IL has been causing some real issues, but we'll see when he comes back. Uh, To be clear, I don't think he's going to be good at all. I just think maybe some bad luck is turning him into a guy you can't play instead of a guy you really just don't want to play. So that's it for the, the awards. Let me know if you guys agree. And then I got a great question from Adam Mahler. He sent me an email and he said, there seems to be a huge disparity in talent or at a minimum, a disparity of timing between the top pitching prospects who could legitimately start impacting games by next season and the slow trickle of offensive players. If we have a situation where the 2020 rotation has some mix of Matthew Boyd, Michael Fulmer, Spencer Turnbull, Casey Mize, Bo Burrows, Matt Manning, Daniel Norris with Alex Fido and Franklin Perez and the odd men out in Toledo, what do the Tigers do about offense now that the future is basically here? Free agency, extend Nick Castellanos. The Tigers will need to score some runs, not this season, but next for sure. The pitching pipeline could remain full, but Deathridge, Clemens, Meadows, etc. feel a few years away. So yeah, like I said, this is a really well thought out question, and it approaches a situation that I've been thinking about for a long time, I, to the point where I actually, I've kind of been working on an article about it, trying to find the next Tigers window. I've been kicking it around for like a year. I just need to finish it finally. But I, I think you're right. I think the timeline for the top position players and pitching prospects in the system is actually pretty close. But the key point here, I think, is the disparity in talent among these two groups. There's a decent chance the Tigers can field a pretty talented young rotation for a good portion of next year and in the near future. But the offense is still going to be well short. And the Tigers don't necessarily lack for bodies on offense. They can replace Jordy Mercer and Josh Harrison and Nick Castellanos and Jacoby Jones easily enough. But are any of those replacements likely to be better than average MLB players? I, I would kind of argue not. Daz Cameron and Isaac Paredes and Willie Castro could all theoretically be upgrades, and, and they all have some potential. And Nico Goodrum could, I suppose, step in and be the everyday right fielder with Castellanos. But how many games does that team win? There's, there's not a four-win position player on the roster and probably not even a three-win player. And as for heading into free agency next year, you know, Al Avila came out and said before that the team might be ready to spend by 2021. So I don't think they'll change that timeline. 
and I think it has everything to do with getting Jordan Zimmerman's contract off the books. The Tigers' payroll this year is about $115 million, and I get the sense that Chris Illich would prefer it to stay relatively close to that, maybe up to 130 or so, but it's not going to be like the $200 million payrolls we once saw. So I don't envision any big free agent signings, and really there's not much out there. You know, everybody's been getting signed up to these long-term deals. The, the best player in the market next year is going to be Anthony Rendon, but how much are you going to pay a 30-year-old third baseman with a lengthy injury history? And after that, you're looking at Castellanos and Yasiel Puig and Marcel Ozuna. And Ozuna could theoretically be a fit, although he hasn't played in right field in a few years. Uh, but again, that's you get a solid bat, but is that enough? So I think their best option is to just try like hell to trade their most valuable MLB assets right now. So Matthew Boyd, Shane Green, Nick Castellanos, possibly Joe Jimenez for position prospects with upside and then hope they have enough young pitching left over to be able to overcome those losses. I'm skeptical. I think Mize and Manning should both be pretty good relatively soon, but there's not another arm in the system that I'd project as an above-average MLB starter, and that's part of one of the biggest issues I see. With, with This farm system is better and deeper than it was a few years ago, but it's nowhere close to being deep enough to make the sort of trades for good MLB players the team will need to make the push from being like an 84-win team to an 88-90 to win team. So, so basically, I think they need to nail a few trades and then nail the upcoming draft and then nail the development of their current crop of pitching prospects to have a chance at contending. And that's one hell of a, a tough needle to thread, and I can't help but feel like the end result won't be a, a championship contender, but more of a perennial mediocrity, sort of reminiscent of, of the way the Pistons have been lately, where they occasionally contend for a wild card, but nothing more. So yeah, I mean, sorry if that sounds incredibly negative. I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope the Tigers turn into a really good team soon. It would certainly make them more fun to watch every day and cover on the show, but I followed the organization long enough to be skeptical of their drafting and development, and I've seen enough other teams try and fail at rebuilds to have a pretty good idea of what it takes, and, and to me, the Tigers just aren't close to being there yet. That's today's Locked on Tigers podcast. Again, sorry for getting negative there. But the Tigers did have a good win, so we can all enjoy that. And maybe they'll go out there and make it a sweep today against Aaron Nola and the Phillies. Thanks again for listening. Go ahead and download, rate, and review the show, if you will, please. And send me questions or comments at chrisbrown0914 on Twitter or at LockedOnTigers on Twitter or at LockedOnTigers at gmail.com, and I'll try to answer the questions as best I can. So thanks again, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.